Tonight, the Freelance Integrity Commissioner for the City of Brampton exonerates sneaky Patrick Brown regarding yet another scandal. I'm going to tell you why we think the fix is in. It's Thursday, August 25th, 2022. I'm David Menzies, and this is The Ezra Levent Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Hey folks, you might remember our big scoop back in June when we revealed that Patrick Brown was using City of Brampton staff in his now thankfully aborted quest for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. Check out this excerpt. And now comes his latest scandal. Brown is using City of Brampton employees to sell CPC memberships. Some of those senior employees actually flew across Canada with Brown, traveling as far away as Calgary, Edmonton and Vancouver, when they should have been working for the citizens of Brampton, Ontario. Patrick Brown drove straight to the Brampton police headquarters. Okay, go, get out. Okay, then. We get out right now. And go, go, please, please. Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown, why are uh, senior city of Brampton staff working out of your secret campaign headquarters in Vaughan? Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown any is that on the taxpayer dollar? Have they taken a leave of absence? Mr. Brown, why are city of uh, Brampton employees working at your campaign headquarters in Vaughan. Is this on the taxpayer dollar? Uh, Mr. Brown. They close, close Mr. Oh, okay then. All right then. Okay. Why you jump out of your car so fast? I'm trying to conduct a traffic stop on you. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, why is that, Let's sir? Let's go back outside. Okay, sure. Well, it turns out that our report prompted Brampton City Councilor Elaine Moore to file a complaint to the Brampton Integrity Commissioner's office. That's because using municipal resources and city staffers without them taking an unpaid leave of absence is contrary to the City of Brampton Code of Conduct and the Election Finances Act of Ontario and the Canada Elections Act. Oops. Well, guess what? The investigation into these shenanigans recently wrapped. And amazingly, the integrity commissioner has found that Mayor Patrick Brown did not, I repeat, did not wrongfully use city staff during his ill-fated CPC campaign. Yes, despite what our video indicates, holy OJ Simpson, Batman. Indeed, on August 18th, the integrity commissioner's office released a statement noting, quote, we are unable to find that the mayor breached the code of conduct as alleged, end quote. As well, our story did not, quote, reflect journalistic objectivity, end quote. Oh, really? So the integrity commissioner is now an expert in the craft of journalism, too? Fascinating. The report goes on, quote, Brown's office was able to show through the city's electronic time record that all participating staff were off work at that time. Thus, they were not being paid by the city, end quote. 
The commission then notes that under the code of conduct, quote, staff are permitted to volunteer their time for election campaign related work if they are on vacation or take a leave of absence, end quote. Apparently, that time recording system is automatically updated, folks, so each person off work at any particular time had to manually enter the fact they were on vacation time, a leave of absence, or with banked loo days. Uh, folks, do you believe that? Since June, I have reached out for this very information from six staffers that we identified as working at Brown's secret Vaughan, Ontario headquarters for weeks and weeks on end. None would provide proof they were on unpaid leave. And I'm wondering, this system is electronic and it is the only record. I know I'm going out on a limb here, folks, but maybe, just maybe, this electronic record is susceptible to, you know, after the fact hacking. I mean, even the Integrity Commissioner's office, in its report, recommended an updated process that would leave more documentation to, quote, ensure better records are available in the future, end quote. Oh, you don't say. In fact, a few days ago, a superb piece regarding this story appeared in The Pointer, an online news organization that covers Brampton. Here's the lead paragraph by Jessica R. Durling. Quote, Patrick Brown used seven members of his taxpayer-funded mayor's office to work on his Conservative Party leadership campaign during normal working hours. No approvals for the leave could be found and the city's electronic record system was altered after the fact to reflect time off, end quote. Did you catch that smoking gun comment, folks? Namely, the records were altered after the fact? Are you experiencing deja vu, folks? Namely, we go back to July 2020, while Brown locked down the city's parks and recreation facilities to the children of Brampton and enforced this lockdown with hefty fines. Brown himself was playing hockey every Wednesday at the Earnscliff Recreation Center, along with his Barry boyfriends. And we caught him crimson-handed then too. Check it out. Brampton was perhaps the most locked down city in all of Canada during the COVID-19 mandates. Brown even hired security guards to rat out people to Brampton bylaw enforcement for the egregious crime of, oh, making use of fenced off baseball diamonds or soccer fields. And all the while, this hypocrite was secretly playing hockey with his berry buddies at a Brampton rink. Well, folks, um, we're getting the bums rush, but holy mackerel, I think I see Patrick Brown himself. Oh, hey, how you doing? Mr. Brown, right? Yeah. David Manzi's a rebel news. You're in, a, you're in a city facility? What's that? You're in a city facility? Yeah, so are yeah. you. Yeah. So, are you yeah. playing hockey here? Or? No, I'm just coming to check in our facility. So okay, I'm gonna, man. we're gonna yeah. check you. You're, you're not supposed to be here, actually. Right, guys. We yeah. were told that uh, you play pickup here. Mr. Brown, how come uh, the kids in Brampton can only practice sports, but your buddies can play hockey? Yeah. So, um, I don't know why um, you are 
harassing people in the city of Brampton, but you shouldn't be. Oh, who's harassing who? Your, you, your, your guy handed out 122 bylaw violations in one week. Mr. Brown, why is there a hockey game going on in this arena? I thought you're only allowed to uh, practice sports, not play them. And who is paying the $1,000 a day, Mr. Brown, for this rink? Mr. Brown, are these taxpayer dollars being used for your buddies to play hockey on this rink? Or are you paying it? Or perhaps we'll lead Solomon. So Mr. Brown, why is it one law for me and one law for thee in this city? That illicit incident, as I mentioned, took place on a Wednesday. And guess what? The following weekend, Brown allegedly had his minions tinker with the Brampton bylaws to make his previous hockey playing at a city facility perfectly legit, as in retroactively, as in after the fact. Uh, sorry, Mayor, the law doesn't work that way, but the sneaky one, he has no shame. Alas, when Brampton's former integrity commissioner, Maniza Sheik, issued her report on this incident, guess what? She found that Brown's only misdeed was not wearing a mask in a city's facility, even though we caught him red-handed in that rink playing hockey, which was contrary to the law at that time. Oh, by the way, did I mention? Miss Sheik is a personal friend and a campaigner for Mr. Brown. I should also note that Maniza was fired earlier this year after the majority of anti-Brown city councillors took a dim view that she had billed the city for more than $660,000 for what was essentially part-time work. By the way, Miss Sheik is now suing the city of Brampton for $20 million and get this, Brown is supporting his buddy in her quest for a Lotto Max jackpot funded by the beleaguered taxpayers of Brampton. You know, I wonder how the average Bramptonian feels about this, working long hours, trying to make ends meet, pay the rent, only discover that Mayor Brown wants his buddy to get a $20 million payout. The chutzpah the tone-deaf entitlement of this man, it's absolutely astonishing. In any event, the new and not-so-improved Brampton Integrity Commissioner, he's okay with the electronic records of staffers being altered at a later date. Are you kidding me? Of course, Brown now claims he's vindicated. He's been phoning all his useful idiot friends in the mainstream media in order to do a victory lap. Oh, <laughs> the gall. So the question arises, just who is Brampton's new integrity commissioner in the first place? Well, it's not a who, but a what. You see, Brown farmed out the integrity commissioner gig to a private company, Toronto-based Principles Integrity. Now, a couple of things. Why didn't this company reach out to us in their investigation? We provided the original source material that was the basis of this complaint, after all. And talk about a conflict of interest. Why would a company hired to do integrity work condemn the mayor of the very city it receives its paychecks from? 
Indeed, recently we reached out to the co-founder of Principles Integrity, Jeff Abrams. I had some questions to ask about his organization, his findings, his smear job regarding Rebel News, and his defense of a serial liar. He never returned my email, so I looked up the company address and paid a visit. Right off the bat, things seemed downright weird because Principles Integrity is not based in an office tower or in an industrial park, but it's located in a house in a residential neighborhood in North Toronto. I'm not sure I have the right address. I'm looking for a Jeff Abrams. Yes, he lives here. Oh, okay then. He's uh, not here. He's not here. No. Are, are you the co-founder? Yes, I'm David Menzies with Rebel News. I'm trying to reach out to him about the Integrity Commissioner report for Mayor Patrick Brown of Brampton. If you'd like to leave a card, I can get him to get in touch with you. Sure. Okay. Are you one of the co-founders of uh, No. Principles Integrity? No. Oh, okay then. Because um, I have sent out emails to him and he hasn't responded. He's not likely to respond to you standing on his front porch. Oh, is that right? Okay then. Um, well, I'll get you a, I mean, he's got my email address and my cell phone number already, but. Do you know what time he might be home? I don't. Okay. There you go, Thanks man. Thanks very much. Okay, you have bye a good bye. day. Bye-bye. Well, folks, we reached out via email uh, for Mr. Abrams to answer those five pertinent questions, and uh, it's been several days and no response. So I looked up the address for Principles Integrity, and uh, lo and behold, it is in this beautiful North Toronto um, neighborhood and it's a single family dwelling as you can see and uh, that's kind of baffling uh, I'm, unless he's running his business out of his house and just to recap um, what I wanted to ask Mr. Abrams and I have asked him these questions via email is my sources tell me that absentee electronic records pertaining to the city of Brantham staffers were likely altered retroactively. Did you even consider this factor in your investigation, especially given Mayor Brown's reputation? Number two, you decry the lack of journalistic objectivity in our report. What do you mean by this? We spent several weeks observing Brown's secret campaign headquarters in Vaughan, noting when city staff was working there. We lawyered our video prior to publication. We reached out several times to Brown and the city staffers to get their side of the story, including proof of their leaves of absence, none of which was provided. In your opinion, where did we fail in terms of objectivity? FYI, I have been a practicing journalist for almost 40 years. I am a graduate of the Ryerson School of Journalism. Can you kindly tell me what skill set experience you have in terms of being a journalism expert? Number three, are you a personal friend or acquaintance of Mayor Brown, as was the last City of Brampton Integrity Commissioner? Four, how much is your company being paid by the City of Brampton for Integrity Commissioner services? And finally, five, are you not in an inherent conflict of interest in terms of 
investigating the mayor when this individual is directly involved in remunerating you. Put another way, why bite the hand that feeds? Well, as you can see, folks, we um, uh, did reach out. Uh, a lady answered the door, um, said he isn't home, doesn't know when he'll be home, likely won't give us an interview on his porch. So um, I'm just wondering if we're failing the journalism objectivity test here that he decried in his report. At the end of the day, um, it seems the more we delve into this story, the more questions arise, including this is the headquarters for Principles Integrity? Wow. Well, back to the office and we'll try to dig up some more leads. As for Brown, if you can believe it, this lying liar continues to crow that he's been vindicated. He alleges that Rebel News has an obsession with him and that our so-called obsession is based on his history of standing up against their agenda of hate, intolerance, and Islamophobia. Their story was motivated by politics and not truth, and the entire investigation was a waste of taxpayer money, end quote. <laughs> now, that's off the chart crazy, and I'm sure this unsupported allegation of Rebel News being Islamophobic, why... I think that's going to come as a really, really big surprise to our company's chair. That would be Raheel Raza, who happens to be a Muslim, by the way. So welcome to the new normal in Brampton, Ontario. The former integrity commissioner, a.k.a. Brown's personal buddy, has been replaced by a corporation that is paid by the city of Brampton. How perverse is that? Indeed, it reminds me of that timeless Latin phrase, qui custodiet ipsos custodes, translated into English, who watches the watchers? Folks, you know the drill. If there is a wildfire somewhere, it's because of climate change. If there is a flood, it's because of climate change. If your favorite sports team loses, well, you guessed it. Meanwhile, the elites at the World Economic Forum, they want us to drastically alter our behavior to, yep, stymie climate change. That means trading in your hamburger for a cricket sandwich and forever surrendering your car. But thankfully, there is a voice of reason out there when it comes to the cultists who worship at the shrine of Greta Thunberg, and that would be Mark Morano, the founder of ClimateDepot.com and the author of a new must-read book, namely The Great Reset, subtitled Global Elitists and the Permanent Lockdown. And Mark joins me now from Washington, D.C. Hey, how you doing there, my friend? Doing great. I, I just got an early uh, pre-production copy of the book. It comes out next week all over the place. So thank you very much. Well, fantastic. Uh, I know it's going to be a home run, even if it's half as good as your previous book. And But Mark, I got to tell you, the uh, subtitle of your new book, it sounds downright sinister. Are you implying that these COVID-19 restrictions are here to stay as in forever? Well, great question, David. 2020 was the year in which conspiracy realities outnumbered conspiracy theories. <laughs> and now 
in 2022, we are no longer correct. No one can call us conspiracy theorists because we're conspiracy observers. We're watching all of this in real time. This is what actress Jane Fonda said, uh, is that COVID was God's gift to the left. They loved the fact, progressives loved the fact that they could bypass democracy, invoke emergency powers, and essentially have that long sought after one party authoritarian rule that China has, has had for decades. That is what came to the once free West, one party style rule like China, and that's what COVID brought them, and they have no desire to give it up. In the United States, Joe Biden keeps extending the COVID emergencies. Governors keep doing the same thing in states in the U.S. We have the, the World Health Organization declaring monkeypox a global health pandemic. And then you have waiting in the wings, President Joe Biden, the World Health Organization, the EU, the World Economic Forum, all set to push and declare a global national climate emergency, which will give them the same type of powers they had with COVID, except with even more controls in their life. And that's what I devote two chapters to, the coming energy and climate lockdown attempt to impose those upon us. And speaking of the World Economic Forum, let's uh, throw to a clip, uh, Mark, of their illustrious fearless leader, that would be Klaus Schwab, and hear what he has to say about the oncoming Great Reset. Um, by saying uh, we are at a a turning point of humankind. I think we should not underestimate uh, the historical significance um, of the situation uh, we are in. Um, we know the world will look differently um, when we move out, hopefully as soon as possible, um, from the acute um, phase of uh, the virus into um, a new situation. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. Um, the the uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces. Well, Mark, I, I think the only thing missing is some Angora cat on his lap. Then he's got the full <laughs> James Bond villain uh, look down pat. But, you know, I mean, the, the entitlement of these individuals, Mark, I mean, he's a non-elected, unaccountable, I don't know what, really, uh, a, a, a doomsayer. And he's talking about, well, basically, there's a quote in your book, welcome to 2030, I own nothing, I have no privacy, and life has never been better. This is chilling, Mark. Do you see this coming to fruition with the likes of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and uh, useful idiots everywhere uh, following uh, their advice? We are now not just worried about the coming imposition of a great reset. We're actually living through a great reset. COVID-19 and the global lockdowns and mask, man mask mandates and vax mandates and the stay-at-home orders and the canceling of weddings and funerals and the masking of our children and the forcing of medical procedures on a public that didn't want them. 
This was the beginning. In fact, in June of 2020, when all these lockdowns began, Klaus Schwab announced that this was the time for a great reset of capitalism. We had a rare, narrow window of opportunity. And they are building upon the net zero climate goals. What their goal now, and we're seeing this everywhere, they are making energy shortages common. They are making vehicle shortages, your automobile shortages, uh, a reality by insisting upon a, you know, the end of the internal combustion gas-powered engine and diesel engine forcing everyone into electric, which can't possibly scale up to replace it. So they want to create shortages of vehicles. They're creating food shortages. This whole net zero, great reset, world economic form agenda. We're watching high yield agriculture being scaled back in the Netherlands and Sri Lanka and Canada and Australia and the United States. Bill Gates is buying up, competing with China for American farmland. People worried about a Chinese land monopoly of farms in the US. Well, don't worry, there's a competition. We love competition, right? Bill Gates versus China. Bill Gates is actually winning and is now America's largest single farm land owner. The question is, who do you want to win that battle, Bill Gates or China? I got to give some pause there. I'm not sure who the good guy is in that equation. Yeah. So all of this is happening. They're creating the world of their vision. This is no longer fiction. Uh, as in the words of Klaus Schwab, it's happening. Food shortages, freedom of movement, airline restrictions, uh, uh, meat rare and expensive, and of course, uh, travel restrictions and then and, and, uh, all sorts of shortages across the line, supply chain, economic calamity, and uh, small and independent businesses being crushed in favor of corporate chains and uh, big corporations that'll go along with this woke Great Reset agenda. No, and uh, when you say Bill Gates uh, versus China, you know, uh, Mark, that reminds me of the tagline for the movie uh, Aliens versus Predator, namely, no matter which side wins, we lose. But I want to speak about Bill Gates, and I think this man is shameful because here he is, he's all on board in this great reset and giving up our belongings and eating insects. This man used the system of capitalism going back to the 1970s when he started Microsoft, became uh, one of the world's richest individuals, um, and yet he now wants to destroy that which made him so wealthy, so entitled, so that no one else can follow in his footsteps. I think this is entirely hypocritical, Mark. It, I mean, it absolutely is in his own lifestyle. You can look at it. The week in January of 2021, he came out and said, it is not a time to be traveling, to be going out, to be going to restaurants. We need to keep these lockdowns going. That same week, David, he was making a bid on the world's largest private jet transport company <laughs> that he wanted to own. In other words, it wasn't going to affect he and his friends. They were going to be able to travel around the world, do what they wanted. He's going after the common man. now. If you look at his Microsoft, he was a, he benefited from a monopoly. And ultimately what the great reset is is pro monopolistic. They are trying to get a monopoly of power, monopoly of food, monopoly of energy, monopoly of freedom of movement, monopoly of wealth, monopoly of property, and that's what they're after. They're it's the, the idea is you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Well, wait a minute. Someone's going to own that. We're going to be renters, serfs. We're the unwashed masses. We're going to be renting the the properties from equity asset firms, Bill Gates, 
uh, China and large corporations that are buying up these distressed properties as regulations designed to crush them. The biggest irony here is Bill Gates buying up the farmland. We know what they're trying to do with our food. They're making food rare and expensive treat by mm. shutting down high yield agriculture. What's gonna happen when we start facing real serious food shortages? You know what's gonna happen. They're gonna blame the coming food shortages on climate change and claim they predicted it all along and then require more such regulations which will create more food shortages which they'll double down and say is caused by even worse climate change. This is the insane loop we find ourselves in 2022. Indeed. And speaking of 2022, you know, what's so chilling, uh, Mark? I don't know if you've ever seen the film. It was shot in 1973. I speak of Soylent Green, which was set in the year of 2022. And my God, it was prescient on so many issues, you know, food shortages, um, the idea of not only a suicide legal, but it's actually encouraged by the government. Um, there's so many things about that film that was shot decades ago that they got right about the real. 2022. Um, but the thing is, so much for leading by example, Mark, because while they say give up all your belongings, that you'll own nothing and be happy, um, Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, all the rest of them, they're not giving up their limo, uh, uh, their, their limousines driven by a chauffeur. They're not giving up their carbon uh, spewing private jets. Um, again, I am just astounded by how tone deaf they are and how hypocritical they are. It is absolutely amazing. And I, in the book, I detail all this hypocrisy. I mean, Bill Gates, his own property, I believe it's like, I don't have the figure in my head, but I think it's like 35000 a month for electricity bills. <laughs> and he's got he has huge square footage and multiple homes. And yet they're the ones, Bill Gates' vision for the world, he said at the next pandemic, if you wanted to fight it, do what Australia did. Perhaps the most authoritarian country next to China and Canada. I don't know. Actually, that's another one. Who was more authoritarian, Trudeau's Canada or uh, Australia? I'm not sure. But this is what we find. And you find Leonardo DiCaprio, Al Gore, John Kerry, all the Hollywood elites, the United Nations chief who bragged about living at 30,000 feet. They want a set of austerity that they are not willing to follow. They want a set of austerity for us, but they can't follow it. And what their ultimate goal here is to make flying less frequent, more expensive. They want to take away, and this is from the World Economic Forum, this is from the UK Transportation Minister, probably a student of the Young Leadership Conferences in the World Economic Forum. But Boris Johnson's Transportation Secretary said owning a car is outdated 20th century thinking. Now. The, the leaders aren't going to give up their transportation, their cars, their private jets, but they're going to take it away from us. And they're also going after our ability to bank. Look what happened with Justin Trudeau. You know it well with the uh, Canadian Freedom Convoy and the truckers. If you even made a cake for them or made bagels, you could have your bank card revoked and removed. This is how they want to get us. You, you, literally, your credit card, we have a UN um, partnering with MasterCard to come up with a carbon footprint monitoring credit card that the World Economic Forum gleefully says cuts off your ability to spend when you hit your carbon max, your CO2 max. This is what they want. Total control. We are just serfs, minions, whatever word you want to use. And again, this is not some fiction of the future. It's happening 
now. We're watching it happen. It's happening in agriculture. It's happening yesterday in California with them announcing that they're banning the sale of uh, internal combustion gas engines and 12 other states are set to follow. The Biden administration set to follow. We're fighting this globally. The World Bank's going to stop funding gas-powered cars. They're creating intentionally a vehicle shortage. They're creating intentionally a food shortage. They're creating intentionally an energy shortage. I lay all of this out in my book, The Great Reset. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I have 90 pages of footnotes in this, by the way. And I try to use mainstream sources. I show you uh, the COVID, uh, what you'd call a dry runs from 2010, 2019, from the Rockefeller, from World Economic Forum, from John Hopkins. They literally laid out how they were going to handle the pandemic from masks to shutting down the internet to combat misinformation. This was all waiting for the right moment to exploit the crisis. COVID came along and this global elites led by the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization and people like Bill Gates and even the EU uh, and the United Nations were ready to pounce. And I also detail how in November of 20, uh, uh, November of 2020, the UN warned we needed a 7.7% reduction, reduction in carbon dioxide to meet the Paris Agreement. Six months later, with the world locks down, the end of 2020, uh, we literally, at the end of 2020, we literally had a 7% reduction in CO2. It's almost as if they called it. So November 2019, <laughs> the UN says, we need this kind of reduction. The whole world shuts down six months later, and by golly, the UN got it. And then a study comes out, carried by the UK Guardian, we need a, a lockdown every two years in order to meet our climate goals. Every two years, a global lockdown. They love this, and that's what's coming next. The coming declared climate emergency will give executive, in the case of the US, Joe Biden will have 130 executive powers by which to play with without any stinking democracy. And this is, again, we are following the Chinese model, which the left has lusted after for decades. And I detail that in the book as well. Well, Mark, some eight years ago, before Justin Trudeau became prime minister, he actually said at a meeting in yes. Toronto that uh, he admires the basic uh, dictatorship of China in terms of getting things done. I always wondered right. what those things were. Now it's becoming evident, and it's just shocking that a leader, a future leader of a Western democracy would admire China for anything. But, you know, I want to get to, um, before we run out of time, uh, there's an excerpt uh, I think that's very profound in your book. The reset is nothing short of a rebranded Soviet system threatening to strip away property rights, restrict freedom of, of movement and association, and radically reshape our diets and way of life. And Mark, we've talked about this before. It's all being done in the name of Mother Nature and saving the planet. But yes. as we've spoken about before, the green movement is really the red movement in disguise, is it not? This is, you know, the playbook of Marxism, the idea of tearing down society and building it back up as a communist utopia, which, of course, never happens, as we've seen yeah. by all the examples of that in the world. Is that what you're getting at with that statement? Yes, absolutely. In fact, Vladimir Lenin in Tsarist Russia before the fall, before the Bolshevik Revolution, actually said the worst 
the better or worse is better. In other words, you want to create so much chaos and conflict in your society to collapse the current system. And that's what we're seeing. That's why it was God's gift to the left in the words of Jane Fonda, because they were able to collapse our current system. In the case of the United States, we were energy independent for the first time since Harry S. Truman was president in 1952. We had the lowest black and Hispanic unemployment. We still had a lot of problems with spending and debt and deficits, but we were boom times in America. So COVID comes along, they were able to collapse our entire economy, our entire energy sector, and now they're going after our food production and our cars. And this is a very Bolshevik mentality, exploit any crisis to impose your order. And what they're ultimately going for is a Soviet-like control. You alluded to it earlier with the idea of the old Politburo, David, where one set of rules for the masses, which is us, yep. and another set for the leaders. They're gonna have, they're gonna be eating meat, they're gonna have all the energy, they're gonna have the large houses, they're gonna own property, they're gonna have the private jets, they're gonna have their stretch limousines, but it's us that they're going to impose the austerity on and the new form of feudal serfdom. And I go into great detail on that in the book. I do a history of the uh, emergency powers and how they plan on achieving this. Going back to the Roman Empire, going to the Middle Ages, going to Germany, 1933. Every time governments impose emergency powers for some crisis, you end up with massive abuse of power and a new political order and that's exactly what we are living through right now but you know what mark i think they have the fight of their lives on their hand uh yeah. you know when you, you you've referenced several times going after our car that is part of the american culture if you look at movies songs books magazines it is the ultimate freedom machine america is all about freedom i referenced soylent green earlier the star of that movie of course was uh, the late great charlton hessen i'll paraphrase one of his quotes um you can have my my steering wheel when you pry it from my cold dead hands um, mark we're almost out of time last word goes to you what can people expect uh to see in your book in terms of looking on the bright side what what can we do to ward off this horrible attack on our rights freedoms and civil liberties well i'm very clear it's time to gouge our eyes out and give up we've lost <laughs> okay, no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. No, I have a whole final chapter <laughs> devoted to the great reject or the great oh. resist. And I use the analogy of uh, the Berlin Wall falling in 1989, live on CNN for anyone to watch around the world. That did not happen because the East German government said, well, 40 years of Soviet oppression in Eastern Europe, let's end that, you know, let's, let's grant the people freedom. It ended because the people no longer gave their consent to live under tyranny. So in the book, I go through from the school board level on up to the fight even against the uh, trans ideology, to critical race theory, to the COVID restrictions, the masking and vaccine, forced vaccine of children, all the way up to parental, no parental control, to these, these rebellions at the localist of levels led to massive political change. In the case yeah. of uh, Virginia, yeah. it led to the toppling of Democrat rule in the COVID hysteria, COVID theater rule. In New Jersey, it almost led to the same. This forced the Democratic Party to do a focus group, as reported in my book and as reported by the New York Times, to actually uh, look at this and say our base doesn't want this. They want it. They don't want this new normal. We have to go back. And because of those elections, because of those school board protests, which led to massive political change, 
the major cities in the U.S., San Francisco, New York, Philadelphia, Boston, all lifted their vax mandates, mask mandates almost overnight when these focus groups were conducted. So political power is how you do it and resistance at every level. I'm a big believer in that mask resistance, vax resistance, uh, lockdown resistance, social distancing resistance. You cannot. And I have a whole chapter on the corruption of science, how they got here. So I, I, it, this is not just about electing leaders. We have to, as a people, fight back. And we're seeing that in the Netherlands. We're seeing that in Canada with the Freedom Convoy. We're seeing it with the protests throughout Europe. We're seeing it with the anti-COVID lockdown protests in Australia and New Zealand, even if the media doesn't cover it or the mainstream media. So there's a lot of reasons for hope. And I end the book on a hopeful note after I depress the hell out of everyone. (laughs) Well, Mark, hope abounds as always. And November can't come soon enough, my friend. (laughs) Listen, thank you so much. Uh, It was wonderful speaking with you and good luck on your new book, Mark. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. There you go. And that was Mark Morano from Washington, D.C. Keep it here, folks. More of the Ezra Levent Show to come right after this. Folks, a lot of response regarding my interview with Avi Yamini. As you know, he tried to fly into New Zealand from Australia to cover the anti-government and anti-lockdown protests there. And even though he had all his paperwork in order and a valid passport, he was denied entry into the country for, well, reasons that remain mysterious. In any event, Giant Tiger writes, hire a New Zealand local to represent Rebel. There has to be a few sane people there to hire. Well, Giant Tiger, I'm sure you're right, but it should be noted our man, Rukshan Fernando, he did get allowed uh, entry into New Zealand. He has been covering the protests in Wellington, and he's been doing a good job getting that other side of the story out there. Ian Glenn writes, New Zealand is being destroyed by the Ardern government. She will not front and talk to the citizens of New Zealand at all. She is well guarded. She is a proven liar. And more to the point, Ian Glenn, how did it become the bailiwick of allegedly democratic governments to decide who and who is not a journalist, to decide who gets into the country and who is deemed reporter non grata? That, my friend, is garbage. Two Pints of Creme de Menthe writes, I'd love to see Stabsinda stumble around answering the question, is immigration New Zealand anti-Semitic? Oh, I never thought of that. But we are still waiting for answers. There has been no valid reason why Avi Yamini was prevented from getting on a plane and landing in Wellington. Could it be that it was an immigration officer with a chip on her shoulder regarding Avi and regarding Rebel News? If so, (laughs) I think there should be hell to pay for that. Well, folks, that wraps up another edition of the Ezra Levant Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back here tomorrow on Friday. Please join me. In the meantime, stay sane. Did you see this the other day? Healthy people, people who have recovered otherwise from COVID, well, they're being forced into quarantine upon the threat of fines after the random testing protocols at Canadian airports were found to have been very flawed, often unable to distinguish between active 
COVID cases and recovered cases of COVID-19. Healthy people are having their lives upended, completely disrupted, their plans destroyed, and all of it upon threat of thousands of dollars in fines, and it's all based on flawed testing. But that's the same flawed testing protocols which have shown so many positive tests all across the country in completely different scenarios. Isn't that odd? And the thing is, even with the flawed testing, the fact that the vaccines don't seem to be working at all, and that normal people, and by that I mean people who are no longer intoxicated by fear and intimidation and who don't seem to care about COVID anymore, none of that matters because the quarantines, the fines, the spy app, arrive can that you have to download just to get back into your own country, they're probably not going away anytime soon. And I've got proof of that. Let me show you. First, there's this. It was in a funding announcement the other day. The government of Canada to announce funding for a safe, voluntary isolation site in Windsor, Essex. Okay, they say this is voluntary, but who on earth would submit themselves to voluntary quarantine at all? Well, I think it's not going to be voluntary, and here's why I think that. I saw this a day or two ago on the government of Canada's contracts and procurement website, but... I can't show you it because it's been pulled down. It was a public health agency request for a compliance checker. But at the time, the government didn't post any details about what exactly sort of compliance they'd be verifying. Quarantines, I assumed, and I had to go digging, of course, to prove myself right. Because look at this. I found the contract they tried to hide on another government website. It's a brand new posting for a 12-month contract beginning next month. Let's read it together. As part of the Government of Canada's efforts to reduce the importation and spread of COVID-19 and its variants in Canada, Public Services and Procurement Canada, PSPC, on behalf of the Public Health Agency of Canada, has an ongoing requirement for service providers to provide resources to complete compliance verification visits with travelers in quarantine or isolation. The goal of these visits is to verify compliance with the minimizing the risk of exposure to COVID-19 in Canada order, also known as the quarantine, isolation, and other obligations order. So this stuff, it's here to stay. This liberal government is never going to let go of the power it grabbed using COVID as the excuse to do it. They can stick you in a COVID jail, spy on you with an app, and send agents of the state to make sure that you're complying with the stay-at-home order they used a flawed test to impose on you. And they'll arrest you and fine you for exercising your rights. What year is this? 1984? For Rebel News, I'm Sheila Gunry.